Heavenly Father, thank you for letting us gather. God, thank you for um, bringing this group of people together. Thank you for the flexibility of so many to, to, to make this evening work. Um, God, what every single person in this room needs most, whether they've known you for 63 years, God, whether they ended up here tonight and they're really not even sure how, what every single person needs most is to leave this time more impressed with Jesus, more um, confident in what he's done, more aware of who he is. So would you show him off to us tonight? And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I used this illustration a few months back, but it was too good and it fits this text so well, so I'm going to use it uh, again. It's the 2000 NFL football draft. Let me give you round one, the first 10 draft picks. Courtney Brown, LeVar Arrington, Chris Samuels, Peter Warwick, Jamal Lewis, Corey Simon, Thomas Jones, Plaxico. Anyone know the last name? Man. Maybe y'all could come up and preach this sermon for us. How about this one? Brian Err. There you go. Travis Taylor. So the first time I did this, I knew like two names on the list. I knew all the names this time because I'd preached it before, but I knew two names the first time. It was 16 picks of the first round before I came to another name that I recognized. Julian, starts with a P. Peterson. Peppers. I like peppers too. Peppers are good. (laughs) Peppers are good. That was my nickname in high school, by the way. Peppers. That wasn't in my notes. Um, (laughs) 19th pick, uh, it was our Hawks' own Sean Alexander. Now, some of you are total sports nuts, as as, is evidenced by the fact that you knew a bunch of those names. But here's a name that every single person I imagine in this room knows, Tom Brady. So Tom Brady was part of the 2000 NFL draft class. He wasn't picked in the first round. He was not picked in the second round. He wasn't picked in the third round. It actually took until the sixth round. Does anybody know what number he was picked? 199th. 199. Now, why this is so stunning is Tom Brady is arguably the greatest football player that has ever played. Seven-time Super Bowl champion, five-time Super Bowl MVP, three-times NFL MVP, 15-times Pro Bowl, 2000's All-Decade Team 2010, All-Decade Team, NFL's 100th Anniversary All-Time Team, and he was drafted in the sixth round, 199th. And one of the questions you might ask is like, why did it take so long to draft a player that was available for 198 other picks? There are NFL teams, they they are stacked with people that devote their entire career, their entire job is based around getting the draft pick correctly. They they, they know every player coming out. They know know every data point. They know all of it. And I'd suggest you one of the reasons they didn't get it right is because if you saw Brady at the 2000, what's called the combine, where you watch uh, potential athletes uh, get drafted, try to raise their stock and their value, if you actually saw him, he did pretty poorly. 
He doesn't look athletic. There's a picture of him. He kind of stands there, and he doesn't have a shirt on. He's got shorts, and he just doesn't look like, I mean, he looks normal, but he doesn't look like a super world-class elite athlete. And the 40-yard the dash, one of the measurements they use to see how quick and fast someone is, and you know, a quarterback doesn't matter a ton, but he was second to slowest out of every quarterback. His vertical leap was like 23 inches. He was in the bottom 3%. This is not who you look at when they put up these kinds of numbers and say, that's who we want on our team. The first Christmas was a lot like that. The way Jesus came into this world was a lot like that. Now, the fact that we're here 2,000 years later to celebrate the birth of Jesus, we realize that what happened didn't stay hidden, but all the details of what happened at Christmas, so much of what surrounds the birth of Christ was so radically unimpressive. We're going to look at a passage that shows off just how under the radar God coming to earth really was. If you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, would you stand with me? We'll look at a a big portion of Luke chapter 2, this account of the birth of Christ, but I'm just going to read the first seven verses. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Feel free to grab a seat. One of the most frequently sung songs around Christmas is a song written by Isaac Watts, Joy to the World, the Lord Has Come. I'm not going to tell you how that's actually not a Christmas song. I did that this last Sunday. But, but this song is sung all the time around Christmas. And if you're here and you're, you're a Christian, you often sing those words with confidence, robustly, loudly about Jesus. Oh, the, the Lord has come, the King has come, let every heart prepare him room. But the birth, uh, 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 the birth of Jesus is celebrated throughout the world with, with confidence, loudly amongst Christians, amongst believers and unbelievers. I mean, there's, there's Christmas markets all over the world. People exchange gifts. Our calendars are built around the birth of Christ, at least in, in, in the, the Western world. But it wasn't that way when Jesus was born. He, he was so under the radar. The text, the details of this passage, the background of the family, there was almost nothing noteworthy about this. Jesus' parents were, they were hardworking, working class poor. From a, a village that at best was ignored, but was often mocked. Some of you come from those places. I won't throw out examples, but you came from those places that everybody just scoffs at. They, they weren't politically connected. They weren't powerful. They, they, they didn't accomplish much. They, they almost never left their home. And this story in Luke, they're, they're, being, uh, they're being required to come and register to create this census. And so they have to leave Nazareth and they go towards Bethlehem where, where Joseph was from. And, 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 and they just knew no one. They show up at this town. They, they didn't have enough friends to welcome them in, even though she's 
pregnant and so close to giving birth. They go to this, this inn, this, this well-known place where travelers could come. And there's no room for them. There's no, there's no place to put them. I mean, all these just have, they have the telltale marks that this family just didn't matter. And when we sing Away in a Manger, this, this pleasant, nice little melody where God himself was placed as he took his first breath, we often, I think the image at least I have in my head or when we've done mangers on the stage before, it's, it's like this really curated, well done, nice pieces of wood that kind of come together in this DIY way and, and put a little soft straw in there. And I'm thinking like a 600 thread count, you know, cotton shawl or like a cashmere, you know, robe or something that we wrap Christ in. Maybe we, we have a picture of, I think, what most people think when they hear the word manger. Kind of that, right? Instagram worthy. I mean, that doesn't look that bad. Anyone? I mean, you would put, I would put my newborn in that and say like, I mean, I, not if I built it because it would break, but I mean, that, that's, a, that's a nice looking bassinet. That's actually not what the manger looked like. Let's do another picture. That's probably what it looked like. The manger was most likely not made of wood. It was actually made of stone and it's what animals would drink out of. So you, th- you think about this, it's on the ground. If you ever worked around animals, what happens down low is anything but glory. Smell, it's dirty. I always think about like the water of life, as Jesus is called, laying in this unused stone water trough. It's unimpressive, it's easy to overlook. That's how God came into this world. It's so countercultural when you think about like, if we designed this story, we would have God born in a palace, we would have him born in, in a mansion. We would have him born to, uh, to, to, to people that are known, to, to the global influencers or the, the, the most well-connected. We wouldn't have him born like this. And this makes Christmas that much more remarkable because here we are 2,000 years later celebrating this one that came that didn't even have room at an inn. And my, my message to you tonight is don't miss this. Don't miss, don't, don't miss this. What began so quiet and so hidden. You know, what a, what a greater tragedy than not picking Brady first round. What looks unimpressive might, might just change the world. And that's where this text goes. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Like, we would have had the angel show up someplace impressive. We would have had them show up amongst impressive people, but God continues to confound us here. He goes after the people that are are unseen, uncelebrated. And an angel of the Lord appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. I got to say, Dane, when you, when you did that, like you were doing the voice with the kids and you said, fear not. I just got a little more, more scared. <laughs> they just said, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God and the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I just want to draw attention to two words in that section, news and savior. See, the story of the coming of God is not advice. It's news. It's an, it's an announcement of something that has been done. And this word savior this thing that needs, not, not life coach, not personal trainer, rescuer. You know, news matters most to those it impacts most. This week, for example, the weather report mattered to me a lot. What happened here mattered because we were trying to figure out what are we going to do? For those of you that have family flying in, the news report mattered a lot. It mattered in Iowa. You cared what was happening in Iowa because you might have a kid that's trying to come in or a family member or a friend to come visit. Some of the best news I've ever received, I was thinking about this, it was the emails that we got that announced that they had found the kids that we were trying to adopt. And I remember my wife calling me, it's like, it came. When we looked at the pregnancy test and saw that we were pregnant with our two oldest, we're going to be parents. That news, it changes everything. The news announced on Christmas matters most to, knows, to those that know they need it. The know, know they need the second word, this word, Savior. Someone that can replace the fear with great joy. Someone that can end all the conflicts with peace. With this wholeness. See, we, 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 need, we need news, not advice. We need someone to do something for us that we can't do for ourselves. I was reminded of this this past Sunday. After services, my family, we got in, in our van and we drove to Cleelan. My dad lives over in Cleelan. We we're going to go visit him for a few days. And, and it had been snowing at the pass. We knew it might be kind of tricky. Um, we got up there later than I wanted to. It was dark. We're going up over the pass. We're passing North Bend, going up towards Snoqualmie Pass. And we're in our, our two-wheel drive, Honda Odyssey, which is one of the worst cars I've ever driven in, in the snow. Every time we get stuck in the snow, I say, why, are, why do we have this vehicle? And then I'm reminded I have four kids. And so, so we're driving up there. And you see the signs of like, you know, traction tires advised, traction tires required, chain suggested, Chains required. You know that moment when it's like weeping and gnashing of teeth. And, and you go, okay, $500 fine if I don't put the chains on. Got to put the chains on. Should I put the chains on? Should I not? I won't say what I did because there's police officers in the room. But, but no, I, we did. We stopped. I, I said, okay, we got to put the chains on. We pull over. We pulled the chains out that we got from Les Schwab that had never been opened. How many of you have those, right? You break the seal on them. And I, and I go out. It's dark. You're on the side of the road. It's just pelting snow. It's freezing cold. I'm out there for five minutes trying to read these instructions and I can't figure it out. So I, I just like, we're just going to call somebody. And, and my, my oldest daughter, who's a mechanical engineering student, says, Dad, I can figure it out. And so she gets out of the car and she figures it out. Like she actually like says, oh, Dad, you just got to do this. And I said, Emma, I got a degree in art. She's like, I know, Dad, I'm here to help you. Because <laughs> you need a savior. Um, and so, so we, get, we get the chains on and then we're sitting there. And at this point, I'm just freezing cold. And this lady comes up from behind us. And she goes, I don't know how to do this. And I look at her and said, I don't either. 
But she's like, could you help? And I said, all right, well, if, I can, if we get ours on, it looks like they're going to stay. We'll come back and help you. And this was, I came to find out this, this lady was, was moving to Kennewick. She's a military uh, wife. She had two young kids in the car. And, and so, and I'm thinking to myself, like, all I want to do is get back in the car and make it to Cleelum. I'm freezing cold. My wife went back to actually start helping her. I'd like to say that, like, I volunteered to go back after I was done. But my wife had already gone back to help her put the chains on her car. So I felt like I had to go back, too, at that point. So I walk back. And they put them on completely wrong. And so I said, Emma. <laughs> it's a true story. She had the instructions. She had the exact same chains. I had the instructions. I couldn't do it. We didn't need advice. We, didn't need, we, we could not solve it ourselves. It's not going to happen. She had no ability to do it. Her kids in the car had no ability to do it. We needed someone else to intervene. We needed someone else to step in. It's good news of great joy because there's a Savior. Not advice. Not five steps to fixing everything. It's good news of great joy because there's a savior. And the, and the titles, the phrases that are used around this, this savior, the Christ, this long-awaited one that the world has been holding their breath for, that finally would come. And, and then we go down in this, this phrase, you'll name him Jesus. The name Jesus means God saves, even loaded in his name, that God is the savior. And what do you do with good news? The shepherds show us. Shepherds give us a really good model. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, you know, remember what I said, remember what that manger's like. And the lenses you put on in this moment change everything with how you respond. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it, they wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen as it had been told them. You hear this news, and then this response is, they marveled at what God had done. They heard the news that a savior had come and they went and looked and marveled. That's the response. I'm not sure why I like doing this because um, it doesn't, I can't do anything productive with this information, but I find it fascinating to me. It's kind of amusing to look back at the stock market and, and do the like, if I had only invested $1,000 in this stock when it went public, how much money would I have today? Oh, I'm glad you asked. If you invested $1,000 on December 12th, 1980, that's Apple's IPO, as of 2018, it would have been worth $430,000. If you'd invested $1,000 during Amazon's IPO in May of 97, your investment would be worth $1.3 million. As of 2018, this year's been rough. Been rough. Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett. Think Warren Buffett. Went public November 1964. If you had invested $1,000 in that IPO by 2019, it would have been worth more than $26 million. Compound interest is your friend. That's a different talk. 
Or how about this? You play Powerball? I don't know if you play, I don't know if you can play Powerball in Washington State. They had the largest Powerball winning ever back in November. Here's the numbers: 10, 33, 41, 47, 56, and the Powerball number 10. If you would have known those numbers and bought a ticket for November 7th, you would be looking at over $2 billion. But you can't pick the winners. You can't pick the winning stocks. You can't forecast. No one's got the crystal ball. I don't know why I do it. I don't know if it's, I'm just a glutton just to say, look how you missed out again. Look, how, look what you missed out on again. But you don't have to miss out on this. Something infinitely more valuable than any of the things I just referenced. A savior. Good news of great joy that makes everything right. Offered. And really the question is this, as we go back to the innkeeper, will you prepare him room? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Your heart. Charles Spurgeon, and I'll finish with this, concludes his sermon on this text No room for Christ at the end like this. He says something like this. He says, the world so often says to Jesus, there's no room for you here. In our schools or our colleges or our businesses or in laboratories, in politics. And so often in far too many hearts says, there's really no room for you here. Spurgeon asks this question, but will you make room for Christ? And quoting him here, says this, well, says when I have room for him, but I'm not worthy that he should come to me. I didn't ask about your worthiness. Have you room for him? Oh, but I feel it's a place not at all fit for Christ. Nor was the manger a place fit for him, and yet there he laid. Oh, but I've been such a sinner. I feel as if my heart has been a den of beasts and devils. Well, The manger had been a place where the beasts had fed. Have you room for him? Never mind what the past has been. He will forgive. It doesn't even matter the present state of your heart if you mourn it. If you have room for Christ, he will come and be your guest. Oh, says another one. I have room for him, but but will he come? Oh, he will come indeed. Do you but set the door of your heart open, just say, Jesus, master, unworthy and unclean, I look to you, come lodge within my heart. And he will come to you. And he will cleanse the manger of your heart more than that. Transform it into a golden throne. And there he will sit and reign forever and ever. Good news of great joy. Because a Savior has come. Receive him. Let's pray. Father, grant us the grace through the work of the Spirit to clear out the clutter of our resistance. That Christmas would go past a mythic tale and beyond merrymaking songs. That we would not miss out like the innkeeper but we would clear out every part to welcome God himself in. Jesus, come and set up a throne in the center of who we are. Help us to hear this 
good news of great joy that we might receive complete peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.